0: Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Liberty Podcast, episode 36, with me, Anthony Samroff. My usual co-host, Tom Laird, is not available today, and uh, our standing co-host, Darren Ekins-Wheeler, is also, I'm afraid, very busy with work. So I'm going to take the stage today on my own and talk about something that I think it's really important, that libertarians, in fact, everyone, gets right. And that is the environment, because if we don't take care of the environment, then to use a French turn of phrase, we're all f***ed. I'm really sorry to report that libertarians have been really weak on this issue. And that's something that I want to remedy with this video. A prominent libertarian, otherwise excellent on some other issues, wrote an article called My Vice Hating the Environment. Well, guess what? I don't hate the environment and most people don't hate the environment the environment is our home the environment is the basis on which we sustain our life on this planet in fact we are part of the environment and what's more libertarians actually have excellent solutions for environmental problems so if you're a libertarian excellent great to have you with me i would really like you to take these arguments into your heart into your memory banks and understand them and share them. If you are on the left, thank you so much for tuning into this presentation and I hope you learn a lot. If you have any comments on my arguments, I'd be more than happy to respond to them below. The majority of people believe that it's capitalism and the free market that are responsible for all of the environmental destruction we've seen since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, if not since the beginning of time. I could point to the fact that the communist states did a lot worse than the capitalist states at protecting the environment. I could mention that East Germany was an environmental crisis zone after many years of the state running things. I could mention that in 1990, the president of Czechoslovakia, Vaclav Havel announced that his country had the worst environment in all of Europe, thanks to 45 years of socialism. Or let's say the fact that the Polish Academy of Science reported in the early 1990s that a third of the country's 38 million people had lived in areas of ecological disaster. We could get more specific. I could say that in East Germany more than 90% of the population suffered health problems because of the high levels of sulphur dioxide in the air. And at the time of its reunification with West Germany, an estimated 42% of moving water and 24% of still waters were so polluted that they couldn't be used to process drinking water. Or that an estimated 44% of East German forests were damaged by acid rains. I could point to the fact that Polish economists estimated that pollution destroyed 10 to 15% of their nation's annual GNP, or that the Czechoslovakian Environment Ministry estimated that 5 to 7% of their country's annual wealth creation was just destroyed by environmental destruction, that two-thirds of their forests were dying, and that half of their water was undrinkable that one allergy specialist in the bohemian city of most blamed pollution for lowering the life expectancy of residents by 10 years compared to their national average, which by the way was already very low compared to western countries with mixed economies. I could mention that the Soviets went around dumping nuclear waste and reactors into the ocean. They killed at least 45,000 humpback whales mines oil wells and ships just freely dumped their waste and ballast into any available body of water untreated sewage floated into the rivers we could compare the Lada car that was created under the soviet union with its poor quality smoking polluting vehicles to the far less polluting cars that were produced in the mixed economies in fact If anyone can show me an example of a non-market economy that's taking care of their natural resources and defiled their environment less than a market economy, I'd be very impressed to hear about it. I don't think that economy exists. We could dedicate a whole hour presentation just to go through facts and show how bad communism and socialism has been to the environment and demonstrate that in western countries we've actually treated the environment a lot better, but that wouldn't get to the heart of the matter, which is why free markets and capitalism might actually be the solution to our environmental crises. That's something that almost no one believes right now. If the majority of people care about the environment, and the majority of people believe that the free market is destroying the environment, then guess what? The majority of people are not going to be libertarians. Leftists aren't responsible for this. Free marketeers are responsible for this. Free marketeers haven't been talking about free market solutions to environmental problems. That's what this presentation is about. I'm gonna go through about fifteen issues. Obviously I can't cover everything, but I'll have a pretty good shot at it. A forest, a fishery, or a grazing land, or anything like that is a renewable resource if it's properly managed. If that resource is owned privately, the best thing that you can possibly do is manage it well for all time. There's lots of reasons why. First of all, you're going to keep the value of that resource. The value of the resource is not going to diminish in case you want to resell it. In fact, you could even increase the value of that resource if you take care of it well. The other thing is, misusing that resource would be like slaying a goose that laid golden eggs just so that you could enjoy eating it once a renewable resource will allow you to profit forever if you keep it in pristine condition therefore no private owner is actually going to want to destroy that resource for short-term gain and even if someone does destroy a forest for short-term gain that will only increase the value of all the other forests that haven't been destroyed, that are owned by other people, giving them even more incentive to look after it in the long term. What happens in a socialist economy is those resources are owned by the government or they're owned in common, which means that everyone has a short term gain to take as much of that resource as quickly as they possibly can and use it because it's like having two pizzas in a room with five people in it. Everyone's going to try and grab a slice as quickly as possible to make sure that they're one of the people that gets four slices. It's just the incentive structure of the economy when there aren't proper owners of a resource delineated. In a mixed economy, it can be Even worse, because the government hands out licences and contracts to corporations to use those resources, the corporations can misuse them and then the taxpayer pays up the tab to replant the forest or to somehow try and recover the grazing land or the fishery. One old trick I've heard of is that a corporation can set up a small ancillary firm that will acquire the rights to log a forest so that it can sell timber to the parent, at way below the market rate. After the deed's been done, the ancillary firm just goes bankrupt, leaving the taxpayer to pick up the tab. That can't happen on a free market where property is privately owned and individuals are personally accountable for their actions. So if someone tried to pull that stunt, they personally would be liable for the damages they'd done and for restoring the forest to its original condition. Simply renters don't take as good care of property as property owners do. This is just completely intuitive. We all know that someone who rents a car is less likely to take care of that car as well as they would if the car belonged to them. On a free market limited resources are broadly allocated to the people who can stretch them the furthest because whoever is able to stretch that resource the furthest Is going to be able to pay more to acquire them because they can stretch the resource further they can make a bigger profit from using that resource so the resources are going to be allocated to people who are good at using them well the profit motive is going to push firms to constantly find innovative ways to cut their inputs down by stretching limited resources further. And as those resources become more scarce, the laws of supply and demand push the prices of those resources up. That's going to drive more innovation to try and find an alternative to those scarce resources best alternative is a renewable alternative. But even if they can't find a renewable alternative in the short term, they're not going to waste those precious resources that have become very expensive because there's this thing called prices in a market when they can use something that's more abundant for cheaper. In a planned economy, there's no economic incentive to find more efficient ways to use resources or to allocate them to the people who can use them the most efficiently central planners allocate them to their cronies and then they continue to allocate those resources even when they've become scarce because there's no price mechanism it's not like oh that resource is becoming scarce therefore the price has gone up therefore we better not stop allocating them to Our cronies, there's no price system. The only safeguard against it is the fact that the state can maybe make a potential killing by selling those resources to capitalist economies who do have a price system and are able to see that those resources are scarce. On a free market, the price system values resources and inputs in proportion to how scarce they are and how many people want to get a hold of them. So if lots of people want a hold of a resource, that's also going to push the price up. And those resources are only going to be pushed in the direction of those producers who can make a profit by using those resources wisely. In other words, in using them to create things that people actually want, not things that people don't want. Supposing a product can be made using three-part steel, two parts rubber and one part wood or two parts of each of them. The price system is going to help the capitalists know what is the most environmentally friendly combination to create that product with because the the most expensive combination is also going to be the most damaging to the environment and the least expensive combination is going to be the best for the environment because the prices are set in relation to how scarce each of those inputs are. In a planned economy there's no price mechanism for the rational allocation of resources and the central planners basically have to guess. Since no one has enough information to make good decisions across an entire economy and a lot of that information is actually impossible to ascertain without prices, this is going back to the famous economists Hayek and Ludwig von Mises, Hayek's famous essay is The Use of Information in Society and Mises' Economic Calculation in the Socialist Commonwealth. Those two essays are incredibly important for understanding why there's always shortages of some things in socialist economies, and there's always wasteful overproduction of other things. Those essays explain why that is. But what about here in mixed economies? Can't we do better than both? Well, generally in a mixed economy, governments will subsidize some inputs and they'll put tariffs on other inputs. So they're also going to destroy these price signals, causing shortages and overproduction, maybe to a lesser degree than in a communist society, but still to a high degree, And that's also gonna lower people's standards of living because they're going to limit people's access to cheaper goods from poor countries. And those poor countries could really do with our money and we could really do with their poor products, or at least those who are the least wealthy of us certainly could. On a free market, The mechanism of profit and loss minimizes the production of goods and services that no one wants, limiting waste. In a planned economy, government officials have to best guess what people want, and there's massive overproduction of some goods and shortages of others because no one has the knowledge to guess accurately. In a non-market economy, the government can just say, well, I'm pretty sure that people are going to want, I don't know, A million nails this year, because they wanted a million nails last year. Well, maybe they don't need nails anymore. Maybe this time they need screwdrivers, and all those resources will get completely wasted because there's no market mechanism to tell producers what people want and what people don't want. In a mixed economy, governments spend massive deficits and print money to stimulate the economy and to win votes. You win votes by giving people free stuff. And that includes all of the corporations who fund your campaign. So governments have a massive incentive to spend deficits and print money to stimulate the economy and bribe people with free stuff to get votes, not to mention campaign contributors. This leads to overproduction and overconsumption. Okay, next. We always hear this thing from leftists who have not bothered to properly understand libertarianism, that on a free market, externalities, even Noam Chomsky, the famous left-wing intellectual, some believe the greatest living mind on the planet, constantly, whenever asked about libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism, says free markets have no regard for externalities. A quick Google search, on the Mises Institute, will tell you how free markets deal with externalities. In fact, one YouTuber SATIRIZED this, and here's an excerpt of how he did it.
1: Oh boy, I can't wait to go to my college school class and learn things. Okay class, here's today's lesson, externalities, they exist. Wow! This is why free markets can't work and you need a state to monopolize law and intervene in these cases! Hey Bill, guess what? Externalities! Now libertarianism can't work! In a stateless, polycentric legal order, externalities are treated as property violation and or personal aggression, and in the cases where the effect is highly diffuse, such as air pollution, that is dealt with in class action lawsuits, which have ambiguities to be sure, but no more than exist in the current system. Libertarians have no answer for externalities! Hey guys, Libertarians are so stupid and caught up in their own little system that they don't even know what externalities are. They didn't go to school class, so they don't know things.
0: On a free market, externalities are registered as violations of private property rights or causing harm or loss under common law. Therefore, they should be justly punished by fines and compensation claims you don't have the right on a free market to pollute someone else's air. And no, this doesn't mean that everyone's going to be running around suing each other any more than they are now, as those laws are mostly there to act as a deterrent. They very rarely need to actually be enacted. Morton J Horowitz wrote a two-volume treatise named The Transformation of American Law, in which he demonstrated that up until the latter part of the 19th century, if a factory owner polluted a stream or the air in a way that caused financial, physical or psychic harm to his neighbours, he was liable for damages under common law. Individuals or communities had the right to sue for damages, And if the perpetrator was guilty, he'd be assessed for a penalty. Economists call this internalising the external costs of pollution. So as we can see, the traditional common law system, which is the basis of the free market, would do a pretty good job of deterring people from polluting in the first place. But then what happened? Well, the collectivists came along and they said, you selfish individual, even if your washing is getting covered in soot from that factory that just opened up over there, that factory is giving people jobs and it's creating economic growth. How could you be so selfish as to deny the common good and put your own needs above the community? And then the law started to transform around this principle. The idea of a person's individual right to not have his property damaged by a factory owner was challenged by the collectivists. And now the collectivists, of course, are coming back to us, free marketeers, us individualists, and telling us that we're the ones who are responsible for the environmental damage. Well, that's not the case. Now, we hear all about how the free market promotes consumerism, but actually on a free market, consumerism is limited by the fact that there's no such thing as a free lunch. People have limited resources and they need to choose between what they want discerningly with those limited resources. In a planned economy, things are held in common and people can help themselves when they're able to. And of course, most of the time, they're too poor and they're not entitled to anything. In other instances, the availability of goods is so limited that people can grab as much as they can in case they won't be forthcoming in the future. In a mixed economy, people vote to loot the public purse for everything they can, whenever they can, at the expense of everyone else. Now here's the big one, on a free market you pay for the disposal of your garbage in proportion to how difficult it is to dispose of that garbage. The fact that we have public control over the disposal of garbage is probably leading to massive unnecessary environmental destruction. Because if you had to pay for the disposal of something in proportion to how bad for the environment it was, then the whole economy would change. Companies would not package things up in excess packaging if people were going to go, well, I'm not going to buy that. Or you wouldn't buy a fridge that was going to cost you £100.00 to get picked up by whoever's responsible for the garbage when there's one that's easy to repair next to it that the manufacturer will pick up for free. Anything that's recyclable on a free market is actually a free resource and someone might come around your house to pick up glass bottles or tin cans for free. They might even pay you for it. They might compete. For control of those reusable resources, meaning that more and more goods and services would be packaged and created out of those things that would be reused. That would be the incentives that a free market economy created. People wouldn't want to make things out of things that were difficult or expensive to dispose of because consumers wouldn't want to buy them when there is an easy to dispose of alternative next to it. Add to that, garbage disposal companies would actually be competing to find more and more efficient ways to recycle things to keep their prices down. Whoever could recycle those Coke cans the most efficiently would not only make the biggest profit from doing that, they'd also be able to pay the most money to acquire those Coke cans from the garbage disposal company, pushing all those recyclables towards the people who could do the best job with them. Basically, if you live in a mixed economy, we're all given a God-granted right to consume wastefully with no consequences at all. Well, there shouldn't be no consequences to it. Now, I know people are going to say, what about fly tipping? And what about, you know, poor people? Well, you're assuming that there's going to be the same volume of garbage now under the system as there is now. There isn't. Most of the garbage is going to be reusable. And when it's not, well, whoever fly tips is liable under the law for causing harm or loss to someone else's property. Plus, you say that people might be too poor, but if you're getting paid to have your tin and aluminium and glass bottles and um, your biodegradable food waste, which can be fed to pigs, picked up, then that's going to balance out the cost of having to pay for whatever things you still have to dispose of. And if not, I'm sure that charities will crop up where you just take down your old fridge that can't be repaired or recycled and they'll find a way of disposing it for you because they don't want you to dump it and somehow damage the environment. Also on a free market, the profit motive and cost of disposing waste both create huge incentives for companies to find innovative ways of turning waste into useful by-products for commercial processes. This isn't just... Uh, theory, You know, Standard Oil found millions of ways of turning their byproducts into things that people actually wanted to buy. So why am I going to pay, if I'm a corporation, why am I going to want to waste and be charged for that waste when I can sell that waste to some companies found an ingenious way of turning that into a product that someone's going to want? In a mixed economy, the cost of disposing of waste is not proportionate to how hard that waste is to dispose of. So that removes this incentive for innovation and for finding ways to turn byproducts into things that people actually want or recycle them. In a planned economy, of course, waste is just dumped where the central planners decide for free. So there's no incentive at all to take care of the environment, which is why communism has been such a disaster for the environment. Everywhere it's ever been tried. Okay, let's go on. On a free market, a charity can just go to the rainforest and buy them up and stop them from being cut down. In reality, in Africa and South America, in the places where the rainforest is being cut down, there's no private property, there's no respect for property rights. And even if you just go and buy up the rainforest, the government's still going to allow a corporation to come in and cut it down from under your nose, because they don't have free markets, they don't have respect for property rights, which are the basis of free markets. On a free market, farmers pay for their own water for irrigation. In a mixed economy, the taxpayer subsidizes municipal water to the tune of 90%, causing massive water shortages in places like California and some parts of England. They remove all the incentives for farmers to implement smart technologies that limit the use of water and maximize the efficiency of the use of that water, leading to huge shortages. On a free market, Anyone who can produce solar energy without causing harm or loss to others can produce solar energy and sell it to the highest bidder. Not in a mixed economy though, you're obliged to attain expensive licenses to produce energy and to sell whatever energy you do produce to the national grid at below the market rate. This vastly reduces the number of people willing to produce their own green energy. And it also slows down the development of commercial technology in the area. Meanwhile, electricity pylons savage the entire countryside because the governments insist on having a national grid rather than allowing local energy production. That is bad for the environment. In a mixed economy, huge subsidization of agriculture out of the public purse has been an unmitigated environmental disaster, leading to degradation of the soil and natural habitats, not to mention mass overproduction and wastage of food. On a free market, approximately as much food as is needed is produced because of those lovely laws of supply and demand. Because there's free trade, in rich countries, we'd buy most of our food from poor countries, and we'd bring millions out of poverty. But what about those food miles? Well, often it can be better for the environment to transport food from countries that have got warm climates, since they, got, they get lots of sun, than to grow them in ones with cold climates, where you might have greenhouses and all sorts of things to grow them. What happens in a planned economy in relation to food? Well, the government seizes the food from farmers, paying them far less than the market value for it, and the farmers choose not to waste their time producing. People starve. In the Soviet Union, there was a small percentage of land that was allowed to be privately owned, I think something like four to six percent, and that four to six percent produced 25 percent of the food for the entire country, which just goes to show that private property works and socialized property leads to inefficiency and sometimes even starvation. It's really impossible to talk about the environment without mentioning meat production. Since the amount of water that goes into preparing a burger is about the equivalent of not flushing a toilet for six months, it takes 660 gallons of water to make one hamburger. 23% of global fresh water supplies are used to grow livestock feed. 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions are produced by livestock. of global arable land is devoted to livestock feed, and 45% of global land is occupied by the livestock system. Cattle consumes 70% of all grain in the US. Livestock are currently consuming maybe twice as much grain as humans are. 55 square feet of rainforest are perhaps needed to produce one pound of beef. If it takes seven pounds of grain to create one pound of beef, why isn't beef seven times as expensive as grains? Well, it's because the vast majority of farming subsidies go to meat and dairy farmers. One study showed that while a Big Mac might cost four fifty-six in the store, the healthcare costs of a Big Mac are $5.69. Yes, people in the West eat far too much meat and it's causing chronic health problems like the epidemics of heart disease, heart attack, stroke, and other chronic illnesses. These conditions are also an environmental concern as they take vast amount of resources to treat. And all of this is precipitated by government intervention into the market, which you very rarely hear environmentalists talk about. Now, sometimes you hear lefty virtue signalers saying that we should put tax on meat. Why do we need to put tax on meat? Why can't we just stop subsidies to meat and dairy farmers and stop forcing people to pay through the tax system for the abuse of animals. Also, if you are a leftist or a green and you claim to care about the environment and you're not a vegetarian or a vegan yet, I think it's time that you stopped pointing your finger at those greedy capitalists and start examining how your personal choices are affecting the environment. In a mixed economy, Wars are funded through the tax system at the point of a gun, benefiting a small number at the expense of the majority, while diverting resources to the production of weapons, which are used to destroy infrastructure, which more resources then need to be diverted to rebuilding. On a free market, all transactions are voluntary. Without being able to outsource the cost of war to the general public, through taxation, there's no incentive for the beneficiaries to fund that war out of pocket. In a mixed economy, the government writes blank checks for roads and motorways and taxes the general public to pay for them, creating urban sprawl, long commutes and an automobile dependent economy, whereas it's always a hassle to get the government to build a bloody railway. Well. We really don't know what the economy would look like if the government hadn't forced people to pay for all these roads which they weren't willing to pay for out of their own economy. I think that probably a lot of people would work nearer to their home and maybe a lot more people would work from home. There would be a lot more mass transit like railways. We probably would have invented far better ways from getting people from A to B. But that's not the only way that the government has interfered in the economy to create the huge numbers of cars that you see on the roads, which may really very well have not been necessary in a free market economy. Because for example, the government creates mandatory licenses for bus companies, they create cartels and crowd out competitions, and the same for taxis. What they do when they do that is they artificially increase the price of taking public transport And if public transport was dirt cheap everywhere, a lot of people would just choose not to buy a car in the first place. A bus is a moving traffic jam. On a free market, the full cost of road building would be covered by the users of the road. There's a massive incentive to find innovative ways of public transport provision and fees should be dirt cheap because anyone can transport anyone else from A to B without needing permission from the state. Freight would be carried by rail because heavy trucks disproportionately damage the roads. So the people who own the roads would charge the trucks more. I've heard that a 38 ton truck does as much damage to the roads as a hundred thousand cars. That means that a 38 ton truck would be charged as much for using the roads as a hundred thousand cars would. So you would see accordingly the freight being carried on the rails. The only reason why all the freight's being carried on the roads is because this is all subsidized by the taxpayer through the tax system. Now I'm pretty sure that people are going to have lots of questions about how this would be done pragmatically. And you're going to have to go to another presentation for detailed answers. There's lots of stuff from libertarians on how roads would be handled privately and fairly. All of this would be easy to do now with electronic tagging. And all people say, oh, this, this is impractical and things like that. Well, the fact is it's being done all over the world. You're welcome to look into that. But Essentially, even without all this technology, it would still be pretty easy. If someone's not going to build a Walmart somewhere without making sure that motorists have access to it by the road, the roads could be owned in the community by the people who lived on the streets, or they could have particular owners. And of course, I can't end a presentation like this without mentioning global warming. If carbon dioxide really is the cause of global warming, well, then you definitely do want to have particular owners of highways so that you know exactly who to sue for the damages. At the moment, the government owns the roads, so you can't really hold anyone responsible. In the same way that when BP did a massive oil spill in the sea, they were actually held to account. They had to put millions and millions of dollars aside to repair damages. Whereas when when Mexico's nationalised oil company was responsible for a massive oil spill they took no responsibility for it and they didn't go and clear up the damages you definitely want ownership when it comes to pollution so that you know who's responsible for doing the pollution and who to hold to account and forced to pay reparations when the environment is damaged okay that's a pretty lengthy premier on the principles of free market environmentalism i hope you've got a lot out of it And, you know, don't be completely hopeless. There's been vast environmental improvements in Europe and America um, with rivers, lakes, seas and airs getting cleaner all the time, actually. The, The Thames has less sewage and more fish. Lake Erie's water snakes on the brink of extinction in the 1960s are now abundant bald eagles have boomed. Forest coverage in Europe has increased by a third over the last 100 years. And today, the average car emits less pollution travelling at full speed than a parked car did in 1970 just from leaks. So carbon monoxide emissions from transport are down 75% in 25 years. I'm not saying there aren't still environmental problems, there definitely are, and we should be looking at ways to fix them, but we should be investigating when private property, free markets, and the incentives that capitalism provides might actually just be what's needed to force people to take good care of resources and handle them in a sustainable way. If you like, you should look for some ways to get involved. In Scotland, where I live, maybe less than one percent of the caledonian forest which used to cover most of scotland remains and twice i've gone on a tree planting forest retreat with a charity called trees for life you can look and see if there's something like that in in your community you know humans don't necessarily need to destroy the environment they can improve it as well and that's currently been proven by an initiative in india called project green hands which has Increase the forest cover in the state of Tamil Nadu by planting literally millions of trees. Over two million people have participated in that. Humans are born with two hands. You have a choice over what you can do. We have the power to put more into the soil than we take out and make the environment better, or we have the power to make it worse. And what we do on aggregate will largely be down to the economic systems that we choose. If you're worried about the way the environment on this planet's going, as I sometimes am myself, please, please, please do not think that socialism or communism are going to fix the situation, as history shows very well that the opposite is the case.